Hello, you're listening to Gay's Gaze, in which we're gay and we gaze into media that's by, for, or about ladies who love ladies. And sometimes we talk about other stuff. My name's Erin, and you have to hit the losing opponent across the face. And my name is Erin, and all we did was touch our lips together in friendship. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) It's time for a, a unique episode not only because we're doing Loveless, but also because I am holding my microphone because I'm on a family vacation right now and this is the best <laughs> I can do. So if, if there's I'm anything so... weird audio-wise on my end, I'm sorry. <laughs> I am so thankful to you for recording while you're on your family vacation, but I know that you would do literally anything for us to do this episode on Loveless because you've it's been true. waiting for this. It's this is time... like probably the very first idea you ever wrote down in our ideas <laughs> Well, no, like it was literally like I wrote Loveless first and then I wrote uh Gunjo second. <laughs> oh my god, we're like living your dreams this summer. I mean, seriously, seriously. I can't wait. Uh, before we recorded this episode, I I looked to my girlfriend and I say I want you to hear it from me before you hear it on the podcast. I have a sordid history as a Loveless role player and she looked at me and she said, "I don't know what that means." <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that any also I don't think that anybody under the age of 25 really even knows what loveless is these days. A yeah, that's few fair. People do. For better and for worse. It's dying out. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, again for better or for worse. Okay, before we get any further into loveless, I do just want to note that um we got a couple of comments about our last episode, our Sailor Moon episode. Particularly folks who gave a lot of positive feedback to Ellie, we're still so grateful that she came. If you haven't listened yet, definitely go give that a listen. Our friend Mo messaged us and told us a big spoiler for Sailor Stars that we kind of got off when we were talking about the series uh, in the last episode, but I also don't want to cold open with a spoiler. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So if you want to know what we got wrong with that, you can check uh, our ats on Twitter to find them. Um, Their handle is at catcaroon, like macaroon, where they've clarified something that we got wrong in our last episode. Oops, it's not a gaze gaze episode unless we get something wrong. <laughs> I know, honestly. We're gonna get we're gonna get a lot of Sorry. shit wrong with Loveless. That's not true. Tell. I'm the expert, I'll fix it. <laughs> no, that's not <laughs> okay, true. Okay, I mean, that is true. You actually would you know I'm a casual fan, you are an intense loveless fan. So I don't even I, rereading the manga, I was like, it, was this even true? Because I stopped reading like around volume six. Once I stopped yeah. role playing, I didn't care about Loveless anymore, and I stopped reading. So that's fair. Okay, I have one more comment about the Sailor Moon episode, though. Our friend M also added us to say that listening to our Sailor Moon episode reminded them that when they watched Sailor Moon on TV in elementary school, it introduced them to the concept of black holes. And they said, oh. and I quote, "To say my anxiety started young is an accurate <laughs> statement." <laughs> Oh my god, I love that. <laughs> I know, I also love that. Before we do literally anything else with Loveless, I, I want to give a big content warning for this series. Big. Honestly, I don't even really know where to start because the entire series is so just founded on trauma. All sorts of trauma. Uh, I think that the big ones with Loveless are child sexual abuse and also grooming, but also just sexual assault in general is a theme. As is child abuse from a mentally ill parent, abusive relationships, and pretty brutal homicide. Yeah. Um, the thing with Loveless is that, like, almost all of the plot has to do, to some degree, with BDSM kink. So that's also just something to keep in mind. 
Um, kind of just in a very general sense, though. Yeah, in a vague, ideological, theoretical way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Loveless is definitely a very controversial series because it has such dark themes, because it depicts adult and child relationships as well. So just go into go into it with that in mind. Erin, why were you so interested in doing Loveless for Gays Gays? Well, because I... I... <laughs> I used to do Loveless roleplay from like a 17 to like 19 year old. I did a little bit of Loveless roleplay and that was like me graduating from doing Neopets roleplay into something a little bit more like quote unquote adult. Mm -hmm. Uh, This was also a series that I really liked. I love the magic system. I think that's really fun. And Mm -hmm. the fact you get like a true name and you get a pair is something that's just very appealing to I don't know, somebody who's interested in like creative writing and world building, which I was at that age. Well, I think that Loveless is really designed with fan work in mind. Yeah. Um, and that also stems from the fact that the the manga artist, Yun Koga, she really got her career started as a doujinshi author, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So she was creating fan comics of more mainstream manga and anime, uh, specifically like Saint Seiya. I think was the big thing that she was doing in a uh, Captain Tsubasa. And oh, wow. so because of that, I think that like she approached writing her series with that mentality of like, how can people take this and make it into transformative work? How can people make this into fic or other doujinshi? And um, how can they take some of my theming and ideas to do that? And I think that she did make something that a lot of people later went on to explore because the Loveless RP community was like pretty big compared to a lot of other fandoms, I would say, of the time. Um, yeah. And I almost like it's kind of had the same appeal that Homestuck had afterwards where like yes. you have this world where it's really easy to make your your troll Sona and have them interact with other troll Sonas. Mm-hmm. And-, and this may be a little bit of a bold statement. Loveless <laughs> for a lot of teens, I think myself and yourself included, kind of a foundational queer text, right? Totally. Kind of like a first exposure to queerness in a normalized way, even if it's really not normal. Nothing is normal in the series. No. But, um, and like an exploratory way to take the ideas and transform them into something else in your own work. Like how you talked about in our coming out episode about how um, RP was really foundational to your understanding of your own sexuality when you were like 17 18 19 yeah which was me talking about loveless roleplay yes <laughs> which we'll get into <laughs> oh god i got to revisit my old character profiles and i am shocked by my audacity <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm so excited to hear about that. But before we do that, I think that there are going to be a lot of listeners who have no idea what Loveless is about. So I want to start at the base level foundation, give everybody a full and complete overview of the series. And um, then we can get into talking about fan work. Yeah. And Loveless, even though it's something that I mean, like, I really enjoyed rereading it. But it's not Mm -hmm. something I would necessarily recommend just because it's, I mean, it's really dark. There's a lot of shit going on. Yeah. But yeah, if you're, I don't know, willing to to look past that, it is a really beautifully drawn series as well. 
Yes, with great fashion as well. Yeah, great fashion. Yeah, the, the art's incredible. The fashion's incredible. The character design is fun. It's everything mm. that the characters are doing that is horrible. And yeah. Yoon Kogan knows that too. And so I think it is pretty self-reflective of that. Like we were just talking about, I think with Sailor Moon, was it with Sailor Moon? What were we talking about where it was like, this is something that was kind of aimed at kids but if you watch it it's darker card captor sakura that's what we were talking about i think we had this conversation just outside of the podcast not even in the podcast but like how that is a series that like if you watch it when it's when you're a kid it's like the like adult teacher and student relationship yeah a little weird but it's not like it's like oh okay that's nice and, and then, then you it's watch like, it as an adult. It's like, oh, this is actually a really critical take on it. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, um, oh my god! Or the just so many child teacher relationships too. That Sakura's mom was was eighteen when she met her dad, who was her teacher. And yeah, she was no, she was. I think she was seventeen. She was a dual enrolled high school student in a college course, and oh no. um, her college course professor was Sakura's no. dad. And so, yeah, he started Yikes. dating her when she was a, a dual enrolled student in his college class. So that means okay. that he has like a doctorate. So I'm just saying he was like at least like twenty seven, twenty eight, thirty, oh. like. And she was 17. Yeah, it's so yeah. bad. And then, I mean, you again, you get that critical angle of Card Captor. We need, we just need to do a clamp, our clamp yeah, episode we gotta sometime do clamp soon. Episode. But you get that critical angle with Tomoyo's mom being um, Sakura's aunt. And she's like, I want to kill your dad. She's like, your dad, like, destroyed my oh, no, sister. Weren't completely. they cousins? Or... Tomoyo is... Oh, Tomoyo Tomo- and Sakura that's right. are cousins. Yes. But Tomoyo's mom is sakura's aunt and she's the one who's like i fucking hate your dad like he literally ruined my sister's life yeah yeah jeez again you as a kid you just kind of brush over it and it's like oh she's being like over dramatic blah 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 but then like as an adult it's like oh no this is like very serious actually and it has that serious tone to it it doesn't have that like brushed off tone anyway that's neither here anyway. nor there. <laughs> yeah oh my loveless is kind of similar where it's like if you read it when you're 12 it seems very normalizing and for that it's like harmful but if yeah. you read it as an adult with a critical eye it's like oh this makes a lot of sense it's very critical i think of particularly sobi yeah though um, i don't know we'll it's it, it's kind of i think there's an argument either way it, it's funny as i was introduced to this as a freshman in high school and I remember my friend like giving me the first volume and being like, oh my God, the main character's 12 and he kisses a 21 year old. Can you believe that? And I was like, well, that's crazy. And now, but like, not like being like, yeah, that's weird, but like not really thinking that much about it. And then it, as an adult, I'm like, yo, what the fuck? Yeah, it's very weird. <laughs> uh, very bad, actually. Very bad, um, actually. <laughs> okay, let's, let's get started. So yeah. Loveless is a manga that was written by Yoon Koga. And she started writing it in 2002. So that is now 20 years ago. My God. Just take a minute to to let that fucking sink in. 20 years of Loveless. God. 
It currently has 13 volumes, uh, and it is left unfinished as of right now. In recent years, the volumes have been releasing more and more slowly. So volume 12 released after a three-year hiatus, and volume 13 released after a five-year hiatus. But Yunkoga's author note at the end of the most recent volume indicates that this is because she's been writing manga for over 30 years now, and she's just slowly learning how to take better care of herself and pace herself more so that she's not feeling so burnt out, which is good, honestly. Yeah. I read that she she reportedly plans to end Loveless after 15 volumes, and she does want to come back to it. Volumes 14 and 15 should come out eventually. We just might need to wait a little bit longer, especially with the pandemic and everything. So mm-hmm. There was also a 12-episode anime adaptation made in the early 2000s, which is a loose adaptation of some of the first volumes of the manga. It is generally considered to be not a great adaptation. It's bad. The manga has a really beautiful art style, like we said. In the anime, it just, it literally doesn't match up. It also just has really weird pacing and awkward voice acting. Did you go back and rewatch any of it before we recorded? No, I remembered hating it so much when I watched it as a teenager that I was That's like, fair. It. I decided to watch some of the dub. I didn't finish it. but <laughs> Also, I had never seen the dub before, so I was like, why not? And honestly, it was so funny. Um, there were some very silly moments at one point, one of the uh, fighter pairs meets up with Ritska, and Ritska's like, go away. And they're like, but we brought you this grande matcha sakura limited edition frappuccino from Starbucks. <laughs> and they hold it up and it has the Starbucks logo on it. And I was like, holy crap. Holy shit, that's good, actually. <laughs> I know. <laughs> There's also one scene that I think they added in about the endangered cat. Do you remember reading this in the manga? Did I just gloss over this? No, what's the endangered cat? Is um, it Tokyo Ritz- Mew Mew? <laughs> no, Ritsuka is like, uh, Sobi, leave me alone. I never want to see you again. And Sobi's like, well, I can only leave you alone if you give me an order. And Ritsuka's like, okay, I need you to go find this endangered cat and take a picture of it. And then you can come back to me once you've done that. <laughs> Thinking that it means that he'll, Sobi will leave him alone for the rest of his life. And then yeah. there is this point where Ritsuka is like attacked by other fighters. And he's like trying to call Sobi and Sobi's not picking up the phone. He's like, oh my god, what am I going to do? And then finally Sobi shows up. And Ritsuka's like, why was your phone off? Why couldn't I get a hold of you? I like needed you. And he was like, I'm so sorry. I was in an area with no cell reception. And Ritsuka's like, why didn't you have cell reception? And Sobi just holds up a picture of the endangered cat. Oh my and God. he's like, I got it. And Ritsuka's like, he does love me after oh, all. No. <laughs> it's so bad. But yeah, that was something else that they added in that I just thought was so silly and funny. Like, That's actually a good gag. Yeah, it was a it was a pretty good gag, but it wasn't like supposed to be funny. It just is funny, you know. It is funny. Um, Okay. Anyway, so despite the fact that Yunkoga is very adamant that Loveless is not a boys' love or yaoi manga, she says that that is not the genre that this is in, and I will respect that. Despite that fact, it was very, very, very popular in the English language yaoi fandom in the mid to late 2000s and even into the early 2010s. 
I think that there is just so much trauma in the world building that you mentioned that made it really good fodder for creative adaptive fan works. I think that Yunkoka had that in mind. And so that was where it really picked up all of its popularity. Mm -hmm. So the other thing that is noteworthy about Loveless is that it takes place in a world where you have cat ears and a cat tail until you lose your virginity. Meaning that uh, having sex for the first time is an instant social indicator to everyone else around you. And the way that they describe this is that you, quote, become an adult, unquote. When most people I know bring up Loveless and they haven't actually read Loveless, this is typically the only thing that they're talking about is the cat ears. (laughs) Uh, I actually had two conversations with two different friends recently, where both of them were genuinely surprised that there was an actual plot to Loveless. (laughs) They were like, I just thought it was just the cat ear virginity anime. I thought that that was the plot. I'm like, no, that actually has like, nothing very little to do with the plot, actually. Yeah. Except for one instance, and only vaguely. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, it has like no significance on the plot. It's just an interesting world building fact. I think that this is one of those things that you and Koga threw in because it would be interesting to see how it played out in like other fan comics and fan works, right? But mm-hmm. also, I think that I think the Yunkoga probably included this so that we can know concretely that children were not having sex or being like seriously, seriously sexually abused. Yeah. Um. Just so that there's like some extra coverage to be like, no, like, no. Ritsuka, my main character, still has his cat ears. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's okay. <laughs> also, cat boys are cute, right? So yeah, cat boys. I also like it because. You know, sometimes children will wear their heart on their sleeve and it's much easier to tell their emotions. And mm-hmm. you can see that reflected in their little kitty cat ears. <laughs> yes, this is very true. Okay, so the lore, the plot and the lore. Now let's just talk through this as I'm going through it. And if I get anything wrong, you should tell me. Ritsuka Aoyagi just wants to be a normal elementary school student. However, the 12-year-old sixth grader has had his entire life rocked by trauma after trauma. He spent his childhood living with his mentally ill and physically and emotionally abusive mother, as well as his older brother, Seimei, who he idolized and completely adored. One day, he suddenly wakes up with no memories, and he has completely different tastes and interests. He was connected with a therapist at this point who theorized that he had dissociative identity disorder or multiple personality disorder due to complex post-traumatic stress disorder from the abuse that he experienced from his mother. His therapist believes that a protective altar has emerged to keep uh, the true Ritska safe. However, his mother hates the new Ritska, and so her abuse really intensifies based on this because she misses the old version of her son. Essentially, Child Protective Services is just failing this child wildly at every single opportunity. I thought that the child abuse started after the new personality for Ritsuka appeared. It only intensified after that. Um, And we see that because there are some flashbacks to the old Ritsuka, which it's funny that we get those flashbacks because he's not supposed to have memories of it, right? But we do get them where he's like very, very little and Seimei is protecting him when he's like five, six or seven. So huh? I guess I thought that was when he was like 10 and when this his memories like immediately disappeared. I don't think his I think it was like more recent that his memories disappeared. The way the pacing is like, I think it's like his memories disappeared. And then just a couple months later, 
Uh, he goes to school one morning and finds the burned and mutilated corpse of his beloved older brother, Seime, sitting in his seat in his classroom. My understanding was that the Ritzka we know, who is 12, has memories of the past two years, starting when he was 10 and lost his memories. Okay. Um, and so there was a period of time where he was with Seme, and Seme was protecting him from the mom who was abusing him, but then Seme dies. Well, that could be true, but also we know that, and, and, and that, this would not be in Yunkoga's mind because Yunkoga yeah. clearly has no idea how therapy works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, there's a very funny moment in the anime where Ritsuka asks his therapist how old she is and she's like I'm 21 and it's like oh my god they would not be giving the intern um, (laughs) this complex PTSD dissociative identity disorder homicide survivor case like holy shit Oh my god. I I think it's all just a little unclear, honestly, in terms of the pacing of all of that. And I don't think it necessarily matters so much. What you need to know is that there's a new Ritzka, there's an old Ritzka, and um, his brother was brutally murdered, right? Yes, yes. And so the the professionals that are supporting him help him transfer to a new elementary school to hopefully help reduce some of the trauma triggers that he experiences after this, because who can go back to that same classroom where they found their dead brother? Yes. Oh, my God. His new school, Ritsuka, is really harsh with all of his peers, and he does not want to make friends. In one scene, we even see him reading Nietzsche, which is so funny. (laughs) Little cowboy reading Nietzsche. Yeah, he's he's in the sixth grade. One of his new classmates is a girl named Yuiko, and she wants to befriend Ritsuka so badly. She's a little socially unaware, and she also has had her growth spurt before her peers did, which has led a lot of their classmates to bully her for it. Ritsuka slowly lets her in, and they become close friends over the course of the series. More importantly, after his first day at his new school, Ritsuka's about to walk home when he's suddenly grabbed by an adult, a person without their ears and this john lennon looking motherfucker is so (laughs) b he is a 21 year old art school student with long blonde hair and tiny round glasses Mm -hmm. he wears bandages around his neck and he generally looks pretty suspicious oh (laughs) yeah to describe it We also learn, just as an aside, that he has a roommate named Kyo, who is a very kind other art student with a ton of ear piercings and a mullet. And he's he's a nice and normal guy, honestly. Mm-hmm. Compared to Sobi, anyway. I love him. He's great. Yeah, Kyo's great. Sobi reveals to Ritsuka that he was a close friend of Seimei. And they end up going to the park together. And when they're at the park, Sobi grabs Ritsuka and tells him that he loves him and then kisses him on the lips. And this understandably really shocks Ritsuka. But what shocks him even more is that suddenly after this, the two of them are transported into a battle. (laughs) It turns out that Sobi is part of this underground secret society question mark literally don't know how to describe it right (laughs) Um, where they do spell battles and in these battles uh, two pairs of people fight one another with word spells which are kind of like poems that bring physical changes to the environment or they deal physical damage to their opponents and each pair is made up of a fighter who is the one who actually casts the spells and a sacrifice who is the one who takes the damage from the offensive moves. 
Mm-hmm. Outside of the battle, the sacrifice is the one who holds all of the power in the duo. Uh, they control the decisions and they lead the pair. Mm-hmm. And each pair has a true name that they share. And that name binds them together as fighter and sacrifice. So Ritsuka learns that Sobi used to be his brother Seimei's fighter. And Seimei told Sobi that if anything ever happened to him, he should start serving Ritsuka instead. So Sobi tells Ritsuka that Seimei's true name was Beloved. And then he reveals that underneath his neck bandages, he has Beloved carved into his throat. He also tells Ritsuka that Ritsuka's true name is Loveless, which Ritsuka immediately says is a ridiculous and horrible name. And Sobi's just like, yeah, kind of is. It's your lot in life. Exactly. Ritsuka is kind of an an odd one out, though, because normally your name will appear somewhere on your body like a tattoo, but Loveless is nowhere to be found on Ritsuka. So Mm. does he have a pair? How do they know his name is Loveless? There are a lot of things that are very confusing about this. Truly. Ritsuka desperately wants to learn what the fuck happened to Seimei. Like, how, who killed him? How did this, how did this happen? Now that he knows that Seimei was involved in this world. He finds a note that Seimei left him that says that he was killed by Septimal Moon, which he finds out is this powerful organization that runs a school called the Seven Moon Academy that trains fighters and sacrifices. Ritsuka decides to figure out what the hell is going on with Septimal Moon, and he is able to meet and talk to some of them through an MMO that all the leaders play together. (laughs) Uh, But he doesn't really get any answers out of those conversations, really. He just learns that everybody kind of hates Seimei, and he doesn't exactly know why. So he and Sobi have several battles with other pairs, including with two sets of zeros, which the fandom commonly refers to as the male zeros and the female zeros. The zeros are like lab created fighters and sacrifices that were created by a doctor in Septable Moon. And that doctor is a woman named Nagisa, who has a passion for Lolita fashion. The Zeros do not have their own true name because all of them are just named Zero, and their defining feature is that they cannot physically feel pain, so they are basically designed to be more adept to the spell battles because they can keep casting spells without feeling all the consequences. The first set of Zeros that they encounter are the male Zeros. The fighter is Natsuo, who has long wavy hair and an eye patch, and the sacrifice is Yoji, who has long straight hair. Both of them are pretty androgynous in their fashion, and you honestly may not know that they're supposed to both be boys until other people start gendering them. Both of them are very arrogant, and they're also pretty new to battling, and Sobi manages to defeat them in a solo battle, which is something that is supposed to be very difficult to do, by lowering the battlefield temperature until they get hypothermia and pass out. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Sobi, after this, Sobi is like, would you like to come live in my house with me? And then they become friends of Ritsuka. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, which none of that makes any sense, but it's fine. Well, they were abandoned uh, by Nagisa because they were they were like, we lost this battle to Sobi, even though he's by himself, and now we're yeah. we're gonna get discarded. And Sobi's like, I know what that's like to get discarded. Like, come to my house, and I will give you hot chocolate so you're warmer. Okay, this is true. I forgot that there's more stuff going on in the manga because when I just recently watched the anime, the oh. <laughs> 
<laughs> my mind is getting fucking warped in oh, the no. anime um Sobe's just like you boys are both cute come live in my home with me there is oh, no God. other like runner. that makes him so much more creepy too <laughs> i know yeah so then the second set of zeros, which we are here to talk about today, are the female zeros. Oh yeah. They were Nagisa's first experiment. So they they predated the the first zeros that we saw. And they because of this, they have a lot more experience in fighting, despite having what Nagisa describes as DNA bugs. Mm-hmm. The fighter is Koya, who is a nerdy girl who wears glasses. And the sacrifice is Yamato, who is a fashionable gyaru. And they are both in love, and they are shown having sex multiple times. So, of course, neither of them have their ears. But Koya wears fake ears so that no one knows that she's lost her virginity. Which, what a world-building concept. The fact that you can have fake ears. Yes, exactly. They lose to Sobi and Ritsuka. Doesn't really matter. So they're exiled from Septimal Moon, and they're like, oh my god, we're gonna be murdered, we're gonna be killed. But then they both are just like, why don't we just go live our happy, normal, lesbian life together? They're like, yeah, let's go do it. And so then later in the series, you see that they're like, we're gonna get married. Yeah. Yeah, which is nice. The Zero Fighter, the bug in her DNA is that eventually... She gets feeling back, which is the whole point of the zeros is that they don't feel pain. And so she's yes. like, I'm, I'm I'm useless as a fighter now. And also she loses her like zero true name mark because of this. Her partner's like, I don't care anyway. Which, by the way, they both have their true names. Like the true names are supposed to appear on a, a significant part of their body. And for both of them, they appear on their boob. They play on the boob. Which is so funny. It's like, if you had a lesbian and their true name had to appear somewhere very important. We have to get on to the big stuff here. Yeah. Um, Which is that we learn... We're not here to talk about lesbians. We're here to talk about loveless. (laughs) We learn dot 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 that Seimei is actually still alive and he has faked his death. We don't know exactly why or how... We don't know whose body they found, <laughs> mm-hmm. but he is still alive. And Ritsuka is distraught over this because he's like, how could Seimei abandon me and like leave me with our abusive mother? Yeah. So Seimei has a new fighter um, instead of Sobi, who is named Nisei. And Ritsuka learns that everyone who knew Seimei describes him as a horrible, abusive, and manipulative person who would hurt, kill, and torture people regularly. We also learn in one scene where he that he once ordered his new fighter, Nisei, to rape a much younger girl while he just watched. Mm-hmm. And all of this seems totally at odds with what Ritsuka experienced, right? Like, Seimei was a protective older brother who was always supportive. People yeah. say that Seimei wouldn't let, like, anybody touch him or wouldn't even, like, touch the surface that somebody else touched. And Ritsuka's like, no, we used to hug. Like, I used to sleep in his bed, like, while he worked. Uh, mm-hmm. What the heck? But Yes. And so then we, we see some flashbacks of Ritsuka and Seimei when they were younger. And it's like, you can kind of see that Seimei was just controlling and manipulating Ritsuka this whole time to have him on his side. And yeah. to make it very sure that Ritsuka never found out about all this horrible stuff about him. Right. We also see some early childhood things where Seimei, even when he's like 10 years old, is like, Ritsuka is my property that I can like mold into the perfect 
little soldier yeah. for me, basically. Yeah, literally when uh, when Ritsuka's born, Sime goes to their mom and is like, I'm so glad that you had a baby for me. <laughs> this is my child. Yes. Yeah. So after they find out about this, Ritsuka and Sobi go to the Seven Moons Academy because they want to find Septimal Moon and question them about what they know. And when they get here, Ritsuka is actually able to see the thread that ties him to his true partner, the other Loveless, for the first time. But there is absolutely zero time to investigate this. Yeah. <laughs> we will never be coming back to it. Seimei and Nisei break into the school while they're there. And Ritsuka and Sobi actually encounter them face to face. And Ritsuka asks Seimei why he would fake his own death. And Seimei just leaves. We don't, we don't get to find out why. Yeah. Then we take a little break to learn a little bit more about Septimal Moon. Mm-hmm. So there is Nagisa, who we know. She's the Lolita Doctor and the creator of the Zeros. And then there are a few other characters that we've been seeing around. So there's Nana or Seven, depending on what translation you're reading. Uh, and she is like the tech master who maintains Septimal Moon's security. There's also Ritsu, who is an incredibly harsh teacher, who actually was the one who raised Sobi. Oh my god, yeah. So Nagisa and Ritsu, um, Lolita Doctor and the teacher, they were friends when they were in childhood. And we get this very long story about it, about their like experience and how they came to be. We still don't get to know what Septimal Moon, Septimal Moon is or how they really formed but but what we do learn is that Nagisa once had a little sister who was Ritsu's fighter, and she was completely in love with Ritsu. But Ritsu was in love with their school teacher. <laughs> More of this. Yeah, I know. And he rejected Nagisa's sister to try to pursue their teacher, who obviously rejected him. Was not interested and also about to get married. <laughs> yes. Like, she was like, no, and also no. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, Ritsu bought her a ring to propose anyway. Nagisa's sister drowned when she was trying to hide the ring at the bottom of a pond. Since that day, Nagisa has been in a very long con to get back at Ritsu and torment him for causing the death of her sister. Mm -hmm. What is noteworthy about all of this is that Sobi is the son of that teacher who rejected Ritsu. Yeah. And when Sobi was dropped off at the Seven Moons Academy, when his when that teacher died, when his mom died. His mom and dad, yeah. Yes. Ritu was given full reign to raise and teach Sobi however he wanted to. Um, Nagisa and Nana, they just kind of turned a blind eye to it. Sobi was a blank fighter, which meant that he could serve any sacrifice who lost their fighter. So it's a very, like, special but also underappreciated role where, like, if somebody's fighter dies, he could step in to fill that gap. Mm-hmm. Ritsu, in training Sobi to become a fighter, brutally abused him physically and emotionally. And it's also presumed that he abused Sobi sexually and that that's how he lost his ears when he was a child. Yes, it's not shown, but it is. that's very clear what happened nana and nagisa also make this conjecture so and it's not shown and it's not confirmed but it's what they say they believe so Mm -hmm. i think we can safely assume that it is true anyway sobi was given to seimei because for some reason seimei was like a top priority golden little evil boy (laughs) i don't know why but they were just like like, we love this guy we want to give him (laughs) There was something like they were like, oh, his his family is like is a prestigious family and he's a really good sacrifice to so he gets to choose or he needs to have the best fighter chosen for him. But yeah, um, so we'll give him so I don't know. Yeah. But Nisei is like his true fighter. 
Yes, exactly. Yeah, but we're going to give him Sobe. Sobe wanted the whole world to know that Sobe was his property after this, which is why he carved his true name, Beloved, onto Sobe's throat with a knife. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is how Sobe got that scar. Okay, yeah. whatever. Flashbacks are all over. This is like the last big thing that happens in the series before the hiatus starts. Ritsuka and Sobe encounter Seimei in a graveyard, and Seimei orders Sobe to come with him and leave Ritsuka behind, and Sobe obeys because he's been trained by Seimei to follow every single command and to not have any free will. Mm -hmm. Ritsuka is distraught over this and doesn't know how he's going to be able to move forward without Sobe, and some people, like, the, the boy zeros meet up with the girl zeros, and they're like, Ritsuka, you can live a normal and happy life completely outside of this fighter sacrifice system. You can just be a normal yeah. kid if you want to. And Ritsuka's like, yeah, but I miss Sobe, like, and I'm worried. Uh, so I have to go do something. And that's kind of where things li- leave off. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of untied threads. Mm-hmm. Maybe one day we will get an answer. Maybe. I would like that. The health and well-being of the author way outweighs her having to make anything else. But I would love to get like an ending for this series just because it's it's been so prolific in my younger times. And and I really enjoyed yes. reading it too. Agreed. Well, I hope that someday we'll get volume 14 someday soon. I know. I mean, my theory before... I mean... It's still, actually, to this day, my theory is that Sobi was wrongfully classified as a blank fighter and that, like, he is actually the loveless fighter. Mm. And that, like, that's his true pair. But um, who knows? That it would make, make perfect sense. sense. But I would also love to just, like, I don't see see a random loveless fighter. That would be really fun. Or even if it's like, I, you know what? It doesn't matter that we're not a pair. Like, like I want to be friends with you, Sobe. You say be That'd friends be as too. if you and Koga wouldn't make this 12-year-old and 21-year-old be in a relationship. Yeah, as soon as as soon as soon uh, Ritsuka is old enough, like he's definitely going to be in a relationship with Sobe, even though that's so fucked up. Yeah, I know. I agree. They're going to be... They're just good friends. We've said a lot of words. We've said sacrifice, fighter, blank. Anyway... Uh, in reading this, I just took all the notes I could to try to describe this uh, spell fighting system and magic system for you guys. So here it is. True name pairs consist of a sacrifice and a fighter, like we mentioned. And again, as we mentioned, sacrifices uh, take damage and give orders, whereas fighters carry out the orders and also say the spells. And uh, Seme in the manga draws the comparison of the sacrifice being the gun and the fighter being the bullet. So basically, even though the fighter has the power, the it can't use that power to its fullest without the gun. <laughs> um, I guess. Who's pulling the trigger? <laughs> God pulls Same the way. trigger. These like pairs are often described as a master and dog or master and servant type of relationship but pairs they have all types of different dynamics from like master and bodyguard to even just kind of like this is my partner and they'll protect me but not in like an an overly dramatic type of way a lot of them just really do seem to be equals as we mentioned your true name appears on your body and that's typically how you find what your true name is though in the case of ritzka his name was just told to him And for pairs, their name will appear in the same place. But if you don't have your pair, you can be, or if, 
at least if you're a sacrifice anyway, you can be assigned a blank fighter. And so sacrifices are considered more valuable because you can't have like a blank sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And fighters, if your fighter dies, you can be then paired with a blank. So fighters in general are just kind of looked down upon. Mm -hmm. And for blank fighters as well, actually, it's a part of the ceremony of receiving a blank fighter that you carve your name into them. And that's how you like claim them as your own, basically. Yes. It's written in the manga as just like you need to write your name on them. So I'm sure it could be an actual tattoo. But in two instances for Beloved and for Bloodless, the blank fighter has their name literally carved into them, which is very metal, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. God, that scene with Sobi and Seime is so messed up because as we mentioned, Sobi had this extensive history of just childhood trauma after trauma after trauma. And then Seime is like such a brutal and awful guy. (laughs) I know. He's like, Now I'm going to carve my name into your throat. Do you want me to make it quick and less painful or slow and more painful? (laughs) It's like, oh oh my my god. God. That's so ridiculous. And yeah, um, what was the name of the guy who trained Sobi? Ritsu? Ritsu? Ritsu, yeah. To Ritsu, because his partner had died and Sobi knew this. Sobi was like, I'm going to be your fighter, right? Right? Mm -hmm. And then you've been grooming me this whole time. You're going to make me your fighter, right? And then that doesn't happen. (laughs) Yeah. And he gives them the same name. If you're a pair, you can ping other pairs and kind of like tell when another pair is in proximity to you. And with that, then you can like start a spell battle if you get into range of another pair. And you start this spell battle by expanding or beginning your system, which this basically just means that you're able to cast spells with a greater effect within a limited range. Mm -hmm. And if a fighter does this without their sacrifice present, the sacrifice can feel them doing this. So with low-level pairs, they'll fight with just single words, um, whereas higher-level pairs, they use prose, and even very high-level fighters can cast like full illusions and create visions with their words. And so there's like a whole range that we see within the series of these spell battles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like some of the first fighters that come out, they're like fighting Sobi, and they're like, cut, tear apart, rip, shred. (laughs) And meanwhile, Sobi is like darkness descends upon us yeah and you cannot see anything in front yeah. of you <laughs> and i rip your limbs from yeah from, out, out from your torso <laughs> oh my uh, god no one, no one dies uh, no one dies yes <laughs> yes so also you can betray quote unquote your name by fighting for another sacrifice i think you can do this regardless of whether you're a blank fighter or not but in the case of sobi when he fights for Ritska, his name beloved on his neck bleeds <laughs> uh, to show yes, that he is betraying is, his true name. Which is also wild because it's just something that Seimei carved into him with a fucking knife. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, my God. Years ago at this point. Yeah. Years ago. Because it was what? When Seimei was 12 and Sobi was like 16, 14? Yeah, something like and that. Now, I think so. I think it was I think it was Seimei was 12 and Sobi was like 16 cuz now Oh yeah, no, that sounds right. Cuz now Sobi's 21 and Seimei was in high school. Yeah. So So the spell battles are ended when the sacrifice is completely restrained and restraints are shown physically/literally slash in the form of 
anything that can restrain a person, but it's typically these leather shackles with a chain on the end that will appear (laughs) on your wrists, neck, and legs. You'll also be potentially blindfolded or completely mummified in bandages. Or gagged. Or gagged. They can also appear as like leather belts that just like constrain you like a straitjacket almost. And it looks like normal leather belts and collars, but there are moments where Ritsuka is like in this full on bondage from being the sacrifice. And so B's like, does it hurt? And Ritsuka's yeah. like, oh my God, it hurts so much. <laughs> yeah, it's supposed to just like be painful. <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't necessarily look super painful. It doesn't look painful, but they are like, I am ripping you apart right now. And then you get like a shackle on your neck. <laughs> so yeah. So these magics, they also work outside of the like system slash battle. But outside of a battle, basically the, the spells just work kind of almost like Jedi mind tricks or like one guy's able to like spin a pencil in it in the air. Um, and it's like very minor <laughs> stuff, say, right? Like, yeah. and then, but then when when combined with the sacrifice, their powers are intensified. Like Nisei yeah. can spin a mechanical pencil with his mind, but then when he's with Seimei later on, Seimei's they're on a rowboat, and Seimei's like, okay, now use your special mind powers to like take us to shore, and he throws the oars and lets them. Yeah, <laughs> and Nisei's like, why the hell would you do that? I can only move a mechanical pencil. And he's like, yes. no, but I'm no. here, so you can move the. We're boat. beloved. <laughs> yeah, and then Nisei's like, wow, it feels like I'm moving a piece of paper. Like yeah. I can do anything. It's Nisei also who he is able to kind of hypnotize uh, Ritsuka's mom, or yeah, Ritsuka's mom into believing that he is Seme, and also mm-hmm. that she needs to confine Ritsuka to their house. So like, it's pretty pretty powerful stuff, but it's not like anything that happens within the battles yeah and then the only other rule for spell battles is that you're not supposed to use anything other than spells like you're not supposed to take a knife and stab somebody in the middle of your spell (laughs) battle though there's nothing stopping you you can do that as in semi literally gouges out the eyes of somebody (laughs) yeah ritsu actually yeah ritsu and yeah my god he had it coming he had it coming yeah, I was not, I did not shed any tears over that. <laughs> All right. But do you want to talk about the author? Yeah, Yun Koga. So as I said, she started her career as a doujinshi artist or fan comic artist. And then she moved on to making her own manga. And she's made a ton of manga in her career. Um, I mean, she's been working for like 40 years now. So she's done a lot of stuff. Over the course of her career, she's been involved in several doujinshi circles Um, particularly in the 80s and the 90s she was involved in them and that led her to leave many of her personal works either unfinished or incomplete as she was dedicating more of her time to fan works which does make me a little bit scared for Loveless (laughs) (laughs) but again we will see aside from Loveless her most prominent and best well-known other work is a yaoi or boys love manga called Earthian And that was serialized from 1987 to 1995. And it was also made into an OVA series by the same anime studio that made Loveless, which was JC Staff. Wow. As of right now, she has 15 manga that are marked as completed, seven manga that are marked as incomplete and that will not be resumed at any point. All of these were marked as complete um, in like the 80s and 90s. And she also has five manga that are currently unfinished and that she would note as being in progress. 
Uh, one of them being Loveless, of course. And she has nine short works as well, which are like one volume works that were all completed sometime between 86 and 99. All of this to say that she is doing a lot at once at any given point in time. Loveless has been a big focus for her, but not the main focus, which I think is also why some of it doesn't have quite so linear of a flow and (laughs) why a lot of the plot isn't quite so concise. Uh, Obviously, along with that, just working on something for 20 years. Yeah. It's interesting to see like the fashion evolve in Loveless because like... It's somewhere around like volume like four where Sobe's like, Ritska, I bought you a cell phone and it's just like a little flip phone. And then in the most recent volume, you see someone like with an iPhone and it's like, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, who's going to give a 12 year old an iPhone? <laughs> We're not there yet. No, today uh, every 12 year old has an iPhone. Yeah, that's fair. It's interesting too, because, you know, after writing something for so long, it's it's totally possible to like want to take it in a different direction. So one of the revelations in one of the last couple of volumes was that actually Ritska's personality didn't change between him having his memory loss and not. It's just like a couple minor things changed, like what kind of foods he liked because he forgot what kind of foods he liked. Mm -hmm. And it kind of seemed like potentially Seme had stepped in and potentially mate this was just this is all conjecture it to me it seemed like maybe Seme had erased Ritsuka's memories for his own nefarious purposes and that had caused you know just a lot of trauma within their family especially with Nisei's mind-altering abilities like you can imagine yeah oh you're right you can imagine that a child would be even more susceptible to that yeah Oh, and that's another thing to mention with the pair system. Usually you just you have a sacrifice and a fighter and you just have one. And so the fact that Seme has two, a lot of people in the series are like, oh my God, he has two? (laughs) Because it's really, usually you only get a blank fighter if you don't have a fighter or if your fighter dies. Yeah. And so it's like, hey, Seme, why'd Seven Moons let you have two fighters? Yeah. (laughs) Marriage should be between a fighter and a sacrifice. (laughs) Not a fighter and a sacrifice and Sobe. (laughs) (laughs) A sacrifice and a fighter may consist but you have to ask somebody else you have to ask jesus <laughs> <laughs> oh my god yes i'm sorry <laughs> as i said loveless very popular in yaoi and bl circles boys love circles but it was not supposed to be that i think it's just that you and koga just likes writing about queer people which is fine <laughs> i honestly like especially the female zeros relationship is so normalized one thing that our friend Mo actually wrote in that it is refreshing that Yamato and Koya's sexual relationship is seen as valid. Yeah. And that they like lose their ears because yeah. there are a lot of people who might write a lesbian relationship and consider them having sex as like not actually losing your virginity. Right. Totally. Yeah. I guess on that note, this is this is more of a darker topic, but when I was really into Loveless, which again was up to volume six, so the sexual mm-hmm. assault plot point hadn't happened yet, it had been my <laughs> my personal headcanon, if you were a virgin who were raped, mm-hmm. you wouldn't lose your ears because raping somebody and having sex with somebody are two different things. Yeah. But it makes for a more dramatic scene that it is revealed that this character does not have their ears anymore. Yeah, when she takes off her uh, her hat to reveal. And yeah. she's like a, in her early teens and she's like, yeah, Seimei ordered Nisei 
to rape yeah. me. And when he did that, he, they also like, as part of torturing her, like cut off all of her hair. So she yes. takes off this hat and a wig and it's like, damn, dude. Yeah, absolutely awful. Yeah. I really think that you and Koga created this idea of cat ears until virginity as a way to show that like when and how child abuse is happening here. Yeah, yeah. So I think that it makes sense that she would include that. But I yeah. do agree with you that it would feel more nice, nice. if <laughs> being sexually assaulted did not mean that you lost your ears and your virginity yeah right because because not- in, in reality that's not how it works but also when i was reading this i asked you if it was like a translation thing that like people without their ears were called adults because i was like what the fuck like so i thought that it was but then looking into it deeper i don't think that it is i think oh. that so i think i do think that that just is the language that the original japanese version uses and i don't think that it's necessarily supposed to be slang but i do think that it is just like that you're supposed to infer that it's about sex the same way that yeah. an english speaking audience would infer that it's about sex because they never concretely say until that moment where that character takes off her hat and reveals that she's missing her ears and says like and i quote nisei raped me like until we get that moment they just talk about it as like you lose your ears you become an adult and you just have to make an inference about what that means i know it is really funny i mean you'll have like their school teacher is a virgin and so she still has her ears and she's but obviously she's 23 way, and is- she's <laughs> an adult and then it's like you'll but then you'll have like the zeros who are i don't know they're in high school and they don't have their ears um the female pair like there's a point where there's this guy who's laying on the ground and Ritsuka's like are you okay do you want me to get an adult and it's like do you mean anybody without your ears or do you do you mean an actual adult <laughs> I, yeah i think he means an actual adult i know but it's just it's just like I, it's weird it's it's very yeah, it's it it's is really weird but there's not a good way to like refer to somebody who has lost their virginity any other way i guess at least like yes. concisely totally very quickly just speaking to the fact that this is not supposed to be a bl right or a boys love mm-hmm. there are boys love yeah. manga magazines right that publish just boys love content mm-hmm. loveless has never been published in a boys love magazine in fact it's only been published in the magazine monthly comic zero sum which is expressly a shoujo manga and jose manga magazine mm. so it's specifically aimed at girls and women ages like 15 to 25 right Mm -hmm. so that has always been the primary audience it has never been about reaching the fans of yaoi in any way shape or form so yeah just something to keep in mind actually it's funny i saw this thing which i didn't read the whole thing of but it's a transcript from uh ax panel which is a anime convention in america where yun koga was and she gave an interview and i didn't read through all the questions but one of the questions asked by the audience was like oh hey this is loveless is a bl is it ever going to be a yaoi <laughs> which in the american vernacular just means like hey there's boys kissing in this are they ever going to have sex on yeah. in the manga and <clears throat> i guess the way that it was translated uh to her apparently like she made like a oh like gasp face when they asked this and then was yeah. like was like no like maybe i'll write yeah. a doujinshi but no <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> Which good. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, a lot of queerness depicted, but it is not. Loveless is just a gay series. It's not a boy's love. I don't think it even really feels like one, honestly. It just has yeah. like, weird fucking themes. And it has a lot of themes that align with boy's right. love. Right. Like, people will sometimes classify banana fish as a boy's love. Where yes. it's, it's not. It's just that it has some gay characters in it. There's a big difference. And I mean, also, think about all of the actually gay manga that gets classified as, as boy's love or yaoi. Like, should I like Gengoro Tagame? Like, <laughs> that is a gay man making yeah. manga for gay men about bears. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Oh my goodness. Um, and for those of you who don't have a lot of background in, in yaoi or boys love, just imagine that it is like a manga about men being with men or boys being with boys that is aimed specifically at a younger female audience. And when I say younger, mm. I mean like teens and early 20s, right? Yeah. But it's designed by women for women explicitly. Yes. Right? Yes. It's not necessarily designed for any audience outside of that. Loveless is a manga that's designed yeah. for women, but it's yeah. not a boy's love. And the last thing I want to... I want to say about Yun Koga is that she has a husband and her husband is also a manga artist but most notably her husband is a BL Yaoi Dojinshi author. <laughs> Good for him. <laughs> and he specifically makes free and hunter hunter Dojin and oh, based man. on the tags of oh, like no. Shotokan tags I'm assuming no. that it's Gon and Hisoka Dojinshi. No. So yeah. No. Unfortunate. I know. No. I know. I'm right there with you. <laughs> oh my god. Jesus He's Christ. He's so guys married. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he loves his husband, Alumi. Oh my goodness. Well, do you, let's clean the palette by talking about some loveless role play. But before that, Aaron, there's something I've been meaning to tell you. What? Our true name. It's Aaron. Yeah, my- <laughs> this is wait, this is true. <laughs> this is true. It our is, true name are, is Aaron. Our true name is Aaron. We are we are the pair, Aaron. But I have I have a question for you. Are you the sacrifice or are you the fighter? <laughs> which one's which? Let's go. Okay, so I've been thinking about this since you asked asked me this last night. <laughs> I don't want to drag you, but I have to say this. Oh no. <laughs> The truth hurts. If anyone is going to be the fighter, it has to be somebody who can read a paragraph. <laughs> okay, you know what? I was going to say the same thing. Erin, <laughs> uh, as you know, Erin, I actually I have a question for you that I'm just curious about. How yeah. did you fare with like reading aloud when you were in school? Like in oh, oh my elementary, God. middle school. Okay, so if the teacher would just call on random students, I was just absolutely fucked and i was mortified because i was like oh god but usually the teacher our desks were in a row and so the rows would go you know up and down so you would know when it's your turn to speak so instead of listening to what anybody else was saying or absorbing anything else i would just count out the number of people and then find my paragraph and then practice reading the paragraph to myself it is a flawed system of having students read aloud in class because of shit like that thankfully i did have some teachers who were like either would learn that do not call on erin because she's gonna have a really hard time reading the paragraph or Mm -hmm. they would say if you don't want to read you can just be like i don't want to read and we'll skip you and and so i would just be like i don't want to (laughs) read 
See, I, as a kid, I low-key loved it. I was like, ah, the theatrics. I get to dramatically read this paragraph (laughs) for everyone. If I'm in a training today, like, as an adult, and they want, like, a volunteer to read something, I will, like, almost always step up and do it. Yeah. I have, like, no fear. And I'm pretty good at just reading things from a script. So. Also, if you don't know this, if you've been listening to this podcast, you probably have inferred this or we've mentioned it, but I'm very dyslexic. Uh, <laughs> and Aaron, if I have to read the summary and you're like, this summary doesn't sound that good. It sounded worse when I recorded it. Aaron does a really good job editing me. <laughs> I, I'm i so sorry. Aaron, do you actually have dyslexia? Yes. <laughs> I, de- I never knew that. Wait, what? I thought I told this story on the, po- the podcast. Maybe you didn't. I just forgot. Oh, <laughs> but maybe. I don't feel like I never knew that you actually were dyslexic. Okay. Well, I've had a couple of people be like, I didn't know that about sense. you. And I was like, oh, yeah. But you're you're saying you're the fighter? I, I think I, I would be the fighter. And also yes. because, but a big part of the reason for that, too, is also just because I love you so much and I would do anything you said. Oh, so. <laughs> I love you so much. <laughs> I know it's kind of weird because there is the dynamic of like the sacrifice as the master, which I'm not particularly commanding or anything, but I do think that out of the two of us, I don't know. I think I think it just makes more sense for it to have you as the fighter. <laughs> I will say a lot of the time, though, I am the idea guy. But if you, you don't want to do guy. something, I'm like, yeah. okay, then let's not do yeah. it. Yeah. No, that's fair. But I mean, it goes both ways. I'm particularly inactive in all senses. <laughs> I'm neither a sacrifice nor a fighter. I'm yeah. Kyo, Sobi's <laughs> friend. <laughs> yeah, Sobi's roommate. Mm. I love God. I love Kyo. Me too. Oh, goodness. Okay, wait. Can I talk about the anime really quick? Oh yeah, sure. And I also have some stuff with you and Koga for an interview that she did as well. Oh yeah. Well, and I have. I've. That was, I am revealing your true name is Aaron, but actually, I have your true, true name. Oh, no. Is this the one that I reportedly said on a podcast episode? Reportedly, you've said this. I am so mad at myself because I took down the the timestamp of you saying your true name, which is just Aaron saying I am, and then an adjective that ends with less. And (laughs) I wrote that down year one of the podcast because I was like, when we do Loveless, I will then reveal Aaron's true name. (laughs) But then I think I had it in the best of notes. And so I took it out so you wouldn't see it um, and yeah. put it in the best of because it wouldn't even make sense in there. So I can't find the audio file. But there was an instance of us talking about what media we used to engage with when we were teenagers. And I was like, yeah, you know, I loved that like edgy, bloody shit. And you were like, the darkest thing I watched as a teenager was Death Note. I was pretty edgeless. <laughs> edgeless oh my god so i actually don't think that that is your true name but it no it would have been funnier if i had you are more edgy but it would have been funny if i had the audio but i wanted to ask you if edgeless was your name and you had to pick a face character um to do loveless rp and a face character is basically just like this Mm -hmm. is what my character looks like and they look like such and such from this anime. Yes. Who would be your face character be? I have thought about this. And the fact that it's edgeless, I'm like, holy shit, this is perfect. <laughs> I was thinking, what was I watching when I was in high school, right? One of the things that I was the most obsessed with when I was in high school was Oran High School Host Club. <gasps> and to yes. this day, one of the characters that I relate to the most, if I was doing a self-insert, would be Tamaki? Haruhi. Oh, no, Haruhi. Ha- Haruhi. <laughs> no! 
<laughs> who are you? Who do you think I am? <laughs> Wait, he's so edgeless. <laughs> he is edgeless. He is edgeless, oh, but Hanuki is That's also cute. edgeless. Oh, yeah, I like they that. would be my face character for sure. Perfect. I love that. Wait, I want to know what was your RP true name and who were your face characters? Oh my god. Well, this is are you ready for an extensive section? Are you ready for five hours of podcast? I am, and then we can get back to okay. talking about the anime and this Yun Koga okay. shit to wrap I'll, up. I'll try to go through this as quickly as I had. I had three loveless RP characters, one of which I never got to RP with. Basically, how I found out about the loveless um RP scene was on a scanlation uh like upload site called manga fox in the forum section of loveless there was a topic which was like what is your true name and then you could go into that section and somebody would post i am this and then somebody else could contact you and be like i'm that too and then you can just have a fun moment but in these sections people would post loveless rp boards and be like if you want to like actually role play as your true name you can go onto these this website and do that there um and so my original this is so embarrassing my original true name rp character was the senseless fighter <laughs> and this was like in rereading the character profile i forgot how much of a self insert this character was he was just me but kicked up to a thousand in the loveless universe and then also my thought process was because at the time i was like i don't want to be gay that's gonna make my life really hard i wish i was a guy because then i could just date girls and so i was like girls like loveless but women are straight so if i role play as a straight boy then i can be gay with a girl without having to be gay with the girl. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, but it makes sense in a teenager's brain. In a teenage way. Too bad for me. It turns out that people who read Loveless are either gay women and lesbians or people who want to role play yaoi role play. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so nobody wanted. To, <laughs> nobody wanted. I, I to feel be like straight. Loveless also just has so much gender ambiguity, especially yeah. with the fashion, that a lot of non-binary people love yeah. Loveless and trans people. Well, this we love yeah, it. on the on the Loveless forums was like the first time I met somebody who I don't know how they identify now. At the time, they used she/her, but they had their character be. Um, uh, they didn't say non-binary. They said androgen. And so that that's the term they used at the time. And eventually the character had no pronouns, actually, mm-hmm. because they them wasn't particularly like well-known or popular at the time. And so eventually they dropped it and used female pro- um, pronouns for that character um, just to make role play a little more easy. Yeah, it is wild just how popular they them has come into usage as, as a they them user personally. Yeah. <laughs> Because, like, when I first started using they-them pronouns back in 2012, that was very, I would say that was pretty uncommon, even amongst non-binary people. A lot of the non-binary people I knew back in, like, 2012 were using um, Zer or Zhir pronouns, which are way less common now. Yeah, Um, definitely. They-them is definitely becoming very mainstream pronoun usage. I think just because it's so already in the lexicon that cis people have an easier time picking it up. Yeah, definitely. So, but anyway, senseless was self-deprecating in the name choice because uh, senseless can just mean like stupid. But <laughs> I, 
<laughs> I told Aaron before we were recording that my loveless name would be stupid, but misspelled like <laughs> beloved so that it ends in ED. Oh my <laughs> god, I love that. Anyway, senseless, that art literally was yours. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, the the actual meaning behind it was supposed to be indicative of like disassociation and just kind of feeling mm-hmm. numb in general. Mm-hmm. And the character, um, his backstory was like, I'm good to pretend that what's happening around me isn't affecting me. And he was just kind of a, a, a mellow guy. It actually made him kind of difficult to role play. But his, his mm-hmm. backstory was that like a lot of shit da- went down in his family not directly involving him but he ran away to seven moons academy and then they were like oh you have potential as a fighter but his name never appeared so they were like you must be a a blank fighter but then he never was able to like successfully pair with anybody else and then wouldn't you know it like one day senseless appears on his his forearm and it turned out that his sacrifice because like this was just how uh, my RP partner incorporated her story of her character into mine. They were both at Seven Moons, but they never interacted, and therefore like their name never appeared. And then eventually, like when they were both graduating, like they were interacting with each other, and their name <laughs> appeared. <laughs> I kind of love which that. Is, which kind of fits in with Senseless. It's not so bad. <laughs> then I also had I was asked by somebody else on the forum to be the sacrifice to their character whose true name was valor and i actually have opinions on true names i think that it can only be an adjective Mm -hmm. and valor is not an adjective it's a noun it's a noun but if if somebody's gonna ask you to rp with them you're not gonna say no (laughs) and you're not gonna say that your name is stupid you're gonna say yes of course (laughs) let me go (laughs) let me go on pixiv and steal fan art of our characters (laughs) Our, our race characters so that i can then recolor them and say that there are characters um i stole so much fan art i'm so sorry <laughs> oh yeah and for senseless i didn't have a face character for him i just would find pictures of anime boys with brown hair and use them which meant that a lot of time i was using fan art of yosuke from persona 4 before i knew who <laughs> yosuke from persona 4 was before you even knew oh my god that's so uh, yeah. funny and then yosuke became like your favorite character of all time ever I, f- no i don't like yosuke <laughs> i just oh my god i'm just kidding i'm gonna fight i'm gonna begin my system you <laughs> can't you to spell I'm, I'm that <laughs> no <laughs> Valor's face character was Anthron Zala from Gundam Seed, which I've never watched Gundam Seed, but pairing Kira Yamoto and Anthron, it it just looked like our characters. So I was like, great, I'll use this guy. And his story was that his parents were a pair. Honestly, wait, why am I saying this? Is this interesting? <laughs> Let's, Aaron. We have to stop. We don't have that much we have to time. Stop. This is not interesting. I'm so sorry. Um, no, <laughs> I, <laughs> I love you leave so this much. in. Oh my god, I, I I'm will. so sorry. You can also. I'll just say okay. that my last character in in Loveless Roleplay was ongoing, which was a lesbian character and was a direct response to Senseless. And ongoing is still a name, like a a true name that I really like, even though it kind of goes against the true the name format. of like. Yeah, this is this is well, ongoing's an act adjective, but it's um uh, your true name is supposed to be kind of like this is your destiny, this is your f- um and ongoing was really just like but what if your fate's whatever you want it to be. <laughs> <laughs> um but anyway, that's that's that. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah. Oh wait, no, no. That's fine. There is one more thing 
that I have to tell you, my secret, my, my secret shame is that for ongoing, I wanted her to have short hair, but I couldn't find that many short haired anime girls. So I used to find pictures of Miku on Pixiv and then I would Photoshop out her, <laughs> her twin tails in order to make her have sh- short hair. How does that make you feel? Miku, Hatsune Miku. I'm going to send you. Oh my God. I'm obsessed with this. It's pretty funny. Okay. Anyway. Okay. Please. Let's get back for one moment. Back back to Yunkoga. And then I have a couple other things I want to ask you about. And then we can, then we can wrap up. Mm-hmm. So right around the time that the anime was coming out, first of all, I wanted to make note about the anime that it was produced by JC Staff, which is known for making good anime. <laughs> Usually, they're just known for making a lot of anime, and some of it has been really good. Like they made uh, Utena, oh yeah, and they made Azumanga Daio. They also made One Punch Man and the Cat Soup anime as well. Oh, wow. Which are okay. all really good. Uh, yeah. It's a shame that Loveless looks so bad. I will also say that they JC staff made an anime that Sammy and I tried to watch recently. Sammy will be back on the next episode. Please get ready, listeners. Uh, she will be here. And that anime that we tried to watch was called Do You Love Your Mom and Her Two-Hit Multi-Target Attacks? Oh, no. Which is about a guy who gets, like, transported into a virtual reality video game with his mom where they have to live for, like, a year. And he is unfortunately really, really bad at the video game. But his mom gets given, like, this epic starter pack. And so she's, like, incredibly strong. (laughs) And she's like, don't worry, son. I'll just win all of your battles for you. And then she just embarrasses him in every single fight. Oh, my God. That's We watched one episode. And then we had to stop watching. Was it really bad? But anyway, yeah, it was very bad. I mean, it was definitely oh, no. like mom kink anime. So oh, no. do it that way you will. But uh, around the time that the anime was coming out, Yun Koga did this interview with a Japanese magazine in Pafu. And <laughs> live journal user Insane Neko oh. did us a solid and translated that interview. So shouts out to Insane Neko on Live Journal. <laughs> um, you can find their translated uh, Yunkoga Pafu uh, interview there. I hope that one day Insane Neko loses their virginity <laughs> and just becomes <laughs> insane. Insane. Um. <laughs> So Yoon Koga said that she loved the anime and she thought it was beautifully made. One thing she did say that I just thought was so funny and it really gave me uh, it, some insight into how she views Sobi. To be fair, this is a translation, but th- I'm quoting Insane Neko's translation of the interview where Yoon Koga said, I'm embarrassed when Sobi opens his mouth. His lines, <laughs> his existence itself is embarrassing. <laughs> oh my God. So true though. Apparently, by the time that the anime came out, she had already decided how the manga was going to end. And she said, my editor is objecting strenuously to it. And we're currently fighting about it. It's basically about who dies and who survives. Oh, interesting. The interviewer responded by saying there haven't been any deaths in the battles. And she said, that's so that the deaths that are still to come will be shocking. (laughs) I love that for her. And then they asked... Then right now, the development of the story is still peaceful. So this would have been probably around like volume seven or eight, I think. And she said, oh, yes, peaceful. (laughs) 
<laughs> Still very peaceful. Particularly later on in the interview, the interviewer asked, the girl couple Yamato and Koya story was very popular. And Yoon Koga said, those two as well, the next time that they appear, it'll be it'll likely be tragic, so it's going to be hard to draw. As we saw in the most recent chapter, they are like together and happy and about to get married. So I am fearful about what if she ever releases volumes 14 and 15 about the fact that she may end up killing off her lesbian characters. Yeah, I wonder, because I know that the fighter female Zero was saying that like the September, September, God fucking damn it. This is why I can't be your fighter. I can't even speak words. (laughs) Can you imagine us going... Septimal, can you imagine this just going into a battle and just completely getting annihilated as I like yeah, you- try to say things and fail? <laughs> yeah, you go you go to say engage systems and you say enrage shut down. Oh no. <laughs> like, oh, no. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, Septimal Moon is not happy with the fact that she is still seeing her sacrifice and that yeah. and that they're together and that they want to give a new fighter to this sacrifice. Yoon Koga also said in this interview that a big part of why she wrote the characters as she did was that she really wanted to, to depict characters as being multifaceted and their personalities being dependent on who views them. And yes. that's a big part of the reason why Seimei seems so sweet to Ritsuka, but everyone else hates him. And also why Ritsuka is seen as like a very good and sweet boy to his therapist, but as like a rude and troubled child to his teacher. Um, yeah. And even as evil by his mother, right? Yeah. Well, I I love that because I think that that's like just so true and indicative of like the two main names in the series, Beloved and Loveless, where mm-hmm. Seme is beloved by his family, but also kind of even cherished and held up like within September moons and and people want him to like them because the consequences for not being like by him are also kind of steep yeah exactly Ritsuka is just like continuously abandoned and forgotten and Mm -hmm. afraid of being abandoned and forgotten again yes yeah exactly Yoon Koga also said that Sobi fitting into all of this he's deliberately supposed to be impossible to read which I think also would go along with with the idea of him being blank right yeah as a blank fighter that Definitely. you're just supposed to pro- everyone's just supposed to project onto whatever they want to see in Sobi is what they'll see. That's why Keo sees him as very differently than like Ritsuka yeah. does. So mm-hmm. And she also said that Yuiko, and specifically, she created Yuiko with a question in mind, what kind of girl would it take for Ritsuka to be happy in his life? Um, And she later said, if Sobi wasn't around, the two of them would make a great couple. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Um, Uh, People, uh, this is something that I remember from the fandom. Yeah, I don't know if that's still the case, but people hate her, I guess, because she's interrupting their ship dynamic i don't know but it was honestly kind of horrifying reading the scanlation because there's multiple instances of like the translator notes will be like i hope she dies like i hate her like she sucks and it's just like she's just a little girl She'll say something like, I love you, Ritska, and the translator's note at the bottom of the page will be like, die, you bitch. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh my god. He hates you and so do I, even though he does not hate her. They are friends. Yeah. I know. Yeah. yeah I it's really ridiculous. I really like Yuiko. Obviously I like women, so Yeah. <laughs> um, I think she's, I think she's so sweet. cute and sweet. Yeah. yeah. Two last things about this interview with Yunkoga. 
One, I was reading this and I choked. You, Koga, confirmed that when in the Loveless universe you have sex, your ears and tails will literally fall off. And she said it was like baby teeth or an umbilical cord. Mm -hmm. And then she went on to say that some people throw them away, but other people keep them as like a treasured keepsake. Yes. I'm so glad we don't get to see any of that. Yeah. With the the thread of you can have fake ears i guess there's also like a a little bit in one of the like there's like an extra after one of the chapters where the female zero pair are like talking about buying fake ears as like a fetish thing yes <laughs> also I just like it's like oh my god is this like for pornography if you have like oh it's my first time pornography do you have to like put on fake ears and then like they have to like cut the camera in order to like make it seem like though no now i don't have them anymore i don't know there's a lot to unpack there yeah exactly and finally she said that ritsuka's name in the final two volumes whenever that comes out his name will emerge in a significant location on his body. I would implore oh. you to make your guess right now. Where do you think it could be? Is it going to be over his heart? I think it could be over his throat in the same way that oh, Sobeys is. Oh my god. I would die. <laughs> if it is, in fact, true that Sobe is his true fighter. Over the heart was like a very popular place to put mm-hmm. the name in Loveless RP, as you might imagine. Yeah. I know that the the manga is called Loveless and Loveless does fit in with Ritsuka in a lot of ways. But I guess also I would be a little bit curious if that is actually his true name or is that just another lie that he's been told by Sobi? Yes. Or I mean yeah. Same, sorry. By Same. Yeah. yeah. Because because how would he know his name? They it's yeah. like confirmed in the lore that you learn your name when it appears on your body. So how does everybody know? That Ritsuka's yeah. name is Loveless. Because, like, everybody knows. How do they know yeah. that? Yeah. I forgot to mention something when we were talking about fan works earlier that our friend M messaged us to say that when um, we were in middle and high school, they and their twin, Mo, used to make Loveless AMVs. And this was back, like, in the early YouTube days, like, when YouTube had just come out. And they said that they made one that was set to Blink-182's I Miss You. Oh, my God. (laughs) And they also made one that was set to a Paramore song. Just such a product of the era. It's That's incredible. I love it. Going back, there are some just untied threads that I would like to leave us on, just as loveless leaves you hanging on all of them why don't we just talk about them a little bit see what we think one of them was how did everybody learn loveless's name if it never actually appeared on ritsuka i think Mm -hmm. that the theory that seimei just made that up and told everyone is honestly honestly sounds right yeah i would buy it Another question that I have is like, so we know that the Zeros were supposedly lab created. Do you think that they were like born in a lab and created and raised? Or were they just like regular people that Nagisa like kidnapped and then transformed into Zeros? It seems that they were born in a lab because with the female pair of Zeros, they were like adopted by then families that sent them to like high school and stuff like that. And they were able to live like normal lives. But Mm -hmm. with the male pair of zeros they are apparently like twins and they are just like their parents are are septembal moons (laughs) 
Yeah, I guess. I forget where that was mentioned. Um, that might have been like on the Loveless wiki, but that's somewhere anyway. But it's also like what they have the ability to create life then? That's fucking yeah. wild. How? I know. <laughs> How? Uh, why would say may fake his own death? Uh, to traumatize his younger brother. <laughs> well, he kind of said <laughs> and for this. Fun. He was like, I yeah. wanted to test Ritsuka to see if he would still love me if he, after he found out I was evil. Yeah, there's also like multiple scenes of him. People are like, why are you doing this? And his answer is just, I hate being asked why. So yeah, his answer is fuck you. <laughs> it's also hinted that Septimal Moon wanted to kill Seimei. And then they yeah. it's not even hinted. It's like said they were like, we were gonna yeah. kill him. We were gonna kill him. And then he faked his own death. And then we found out that he was dead. So we didn't. But then we yeah. think he's faking his death, but we're not sure. But like, why would they want to kill him? Because oh, he's a dick <laughs> what i want to know what he truly did what did yeah, he do <laughs> i feel like it seems like he's becoming too powerful and too dangerous to like okay yeah that would make sense they were like he'll be our ally and then they were like this is a bad idea we got to kill him and yeah they're like oh he's dead and then they're like but is he but is he hmm. let's let's play a video game and talk about it <laughs> The real question. After he finds his true fighter and he like confronts Seimei to figure out what really happened, what do you think Ritsuka is going to do? Like, do you think that he's going to reject Seimei? Do you think that he's going to accept him? In the manga, this was already happening a little bit of mm -hmm. um, Ritsuka being like, I can accept that the Seimei that I knew um, is was either fake or just an aspect of his personality and that mm -hmm. this like very cruel person that everybody else knew is is true and so i don't know i mean like sammy is like from a text standpoint is pretty irredeemable and it's yeah. kind of hard to to imagine any instance where it'd be like it's okay you're my brother and we're gonna be happy now so i would imagine that ritsuka has to reject him I just don't know how else like that can come together. Though it does seem like within the story as it is now, Ritsuka's like, I want to accept him even though I know that he's evil because he's still yeah. this like very important person to me. Yes. Yeah, that's the thing that I'm yeah. thinking about is like, I feel like it's going to take Ritsuka learning something even more awful about yeah. Seimei for yeah. him to be like, okay, now we're at the point where like... I, I cannot accept you anymore. It's yeah. going to be something like, I brainwashed our mom to abuse you. Which does seem like that was the case. Yeah, I think the reveal that Nisei brainwashed Ritsuka to make him forget his past self. I wonder yeah. if that's going to come out. Or why were his memories wiped? Yeah. We were going to learn that there's a reason why his memories were wiped. And it's because of something truly horrible that happened that also traumatized their mom. Is my Probably, guess. yeah. In the manga, in the early volumes, there's the mom and then there's also the dad. And then just in later volumes, the dad's just not around because he, he wasn't doing anything anyway. And it's like, why would I include this character that's not doing anything? So I just yeah. pretend he don't exist. <laughs> Your ending thread is so much better than mine. What I want to know is why did... A Rio's twin sister show up when he was kidnapped and be like, hey, what's up, bro? And then he was like, did I have a twin? He, he goes and he asks his daughter, hey, did I have a twin sister? And she's like, I don't know. I wasn't alive then. <laughs> Why does Kyo have a daughter? That was a twist. Oh that whole, I also, that I was like, Kyo chapter. Yeah. That, that got me. Oh my God. We can't, 
We can't even get into it. <laughs> we can't. We I, that that one. I just we gotta wait and see what you and Koga does. Yeah, uh, I am so grateful to you and Koga for making this mess. Of a, of a Me too. Series. Me too. There's so much to talk about. We could talk about it forever, but we've already been talking for like almost two hours, so we have to yeah. stop. I'm so sorry to bore everybody with my loveless RP history, but it's just no. It's, I loved uh, it. It's at least senseless makes sense to talk about because it's about me being so in the closet that I was like, what if I was a man? <laughs> no, I, listen, I don't want to be a man. <laughs> I received the feedback that the moments where we get off on tangents is the moments where people have the most engagement. <laughs> That's wild. We were like, I love when you guys just talk about random shit. Oh my goodness. If you so. hate when we talk about random shit, please email us at Aaron at Gaze Gaze. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm sure that if you hate when we get on tangents, you have stopped listening to this podcast long, long ago. Or you're just listening to this episode for the first time. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. You're my old RP partner. Please email us at Case Case. We can follow up at the start of the next episode with any other loveless RP facts if there are folks listening that related to any of these experiences or want to share any of their own experiences consuming loveless, particularly as a teenager, like... What you yeah. liked about it, what you didn't like about it, etc. Yeah, definitely go ahead and email us at Aaron at Gaze Gaze with any of those stories and we'll include them next time. For sure. Thank you so much for listening. If you feel like it, you can follow us at Gaze Gaze on Twitter. And there we'll give out tweets about what our next episodes are. And you can also slide into our DMs to send <laughs> us any uh, important information. Or if you prefer, you can email us at Aaron at gazegaze.com to send us thoughts, ideas, and recommendations. Many thanks to Kate and Leslie of Neon and Nude for allowing us to use their songs Look in Love and You Pretty Thing as our intro and our outro music. You can and should buy their album at neonandnude.bandcamp.com. But you can also stream it on Spotify. But really, you should buy it. Next week, we're doing... Next week, we are doing Joshi Tekisei Kats, um, which is My Life is a Girl. And it is a four-episode Japanese drama, live-action drama, about a trans-sapphic woman. I believe she's a lesbian. I might be making that inference. We will see. She definitely has a relationship with a woman in the course of the drama. And Samantha will be coming back to join us for that one, especially because it's about a woman falling in love with a woman she meets at a bar that is just ruthlessly rude to her. <laughs> 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 Which is Sammy's favorite. Sammy. So, I'm not even dragging her. That's not just, even dragging. She's it's just about the it. truth. <laughs> but yeah, I'm excited for it. So Me too. We'll see Samantha in our next episode. Woo. All right. But anyway, until next time, I'm Erin. And I'm Aaron, and, and battle systems engaged. Oh, we- <laughs> <laughs> I challenge you to a spell battle. We are Aaron, and we are gay. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. Hey.